All right, so um, first John, let me, t- let me first, before we get to the scripture, let me tell you why I wrote this message. So um, it was a Monday, uh, a little over a year ago, I was driving to Chinchilla, and uh, it's to speak for my friend Lee Dolman, and uh, Lee Dolman's a champion in the ACC, and, um, and all those rule guys are, they're amazing. So I always put time aside for them, if they'll put on a meeting, I'll drive out there and do it, right? Because could you imagine standing in front of Jesus explaining why you wouldn't go to a small town? That's weird, right? And so the, the podcast was on random, and there was this anthropologist that was being interviewed. He had a PhD in social anthropology. Whether he was religious or not, I have no idea. He certainly made no issue of it. Um, and he was just talking about the anthropological responses to pandemics. And he went back through the last eight great pandemics of the earth. Smallpox pandemic of 251, 336 AD, which is universally agreed upon as the worst year to ever be alive because there was a volcano that erupted in Iceland before Iceland was settled. No one knew where it was, and it made the entire sky of Europe go dark for two years. That was weird. Then 341 Justinian plague, then you had the bubonic plague, you had the Spanish flu, and of course you have COVID. And here's the thing. It was a big thing that he was so smart and so switched on about it, but this is what matters to us. He said, what you see... At the end of every pandemic in the history of the world is you see a three-year anthropological phenomenon where people rush wanting to be regrounded in faith. And there's lots of reasons for it. But why that matters to us is, is this. What that means is, is it, he was talking in American terms, so that would be January 2023 to January 2026. But in Australia, you're going to be a little bit, we're going to be a little bit ahead of that or, or behind that because uh, America was free first and that has to happen first. So, so, but, so what that means for us is from June 2023 to June 2026, what we should see is a once in a lifetime opportunity where people are going to be rushing back, wanting to be regrounded in faith. Now, for us, what that means is, is that if he's right, this door should be flooded with new people coming, it should, asking questions about Christianity. And if we give them the same answers for why they left in the first place, they're going to leave again, which leads me to Jesus. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciple by your love, not by your opinion about climate change. Not by your opinion about sex. Not by your opinion about politics. If you'd rather be known for the way you vote instead of your following Jesus and love for your world, I think you've missed the point. Christians are not supposed to... We're not supposed to be known for those things. You can have something and not be known for it. That's two different things. Like, like have your opinion about climate. Whatever. Have it. Have your opinion about sex. Please have a conviction about sex. Please. Please, just don't be known for it. Have your opinion about politics and vote and call your local representatives. Instead of complaining on the internet with poorly constructed memes, do something about it. (laughs) Followers complain about darkness. Leaders turn on the light. That's two different things. Christians aren't supposed to be known for their opinion about climate or sex or politics. And we're certainly not supposed to be known for our amateur predictions of doom. Christians are supposed to be known for our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for our world. Which leads me to John. Words matter less than how we picture words working. They they just do. I mean, like, there's some, if I say, if I say we need to be known for our love, well, that that matters, but what matters more is how people picture that word working. There's some people I don't want loving me because the way they think love works is jacked up. You just keep your love to yourself, right? 
But, but the way love works in our world, John, there's this guy named John, and in my opinion, he wrote the best book ever written about what it means to be known for your love in your world. Uh, it, I, it's just, it's just my opinion. And it's profound. To write something that profound in five chapters is, is pretty, like, you could read it in 15 minutes, maybe, 10 minutes. It's, it's, it's actually short. And he's writing to this group of believers who were living in a tough time. There's a guy named Nero running the world. And if you, if you got caught practicing Christianity back then, they impaled you. What that means is, if you don't know, they, they, they held you down, they took a stick and they rammed it up your butt until you died. Um, from internal injuries, and then after you died, they planted you and then set you on fire to use you as a human candlestick to keep his backyard alight. Look, I realize God is not near done redeeming the world, but whatever your problem is with Albo, it ain't Nero, okay? And so he's writing to this group of people about what it, me- what it looks like to be known for our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for our world. And, and so I'm going to read from the middle of the book, which is inappropriate. You've got to set up the context. But I couldn't find a way to set up the context. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize the entire book of First John in 25 seconds, okay? So you're going to have to pay very close attention, and then we'll read the passage. Um, here is the entire book of First John in 25 seconds. Here we go. Ready? First John chapter 1, everything you saw in Jesus was true since before the foundation of the world. Jesus did not inaugurate a new reality about God. He just simply showed you what God was like from the beginning because God was like Jesus, exactly like Jesus. God had always been like Jesus. We did not know that, but now we do. And when God goes about forgiving the sins of the whole world through Jesus Christ, he doesn't just forgive the sins of a small group of people in one little place. He forgives the sins of everybody everywhere with the hope that everybody everywhere will respond to that level of kindness by being loving to their world because you cannot say you love God and not love your world. You cannot say you love God and not love your fellow man and anyone who says they love Jesus but they don't show it with love for their fellow man they're a liar and the truth is not in them because the world is tired of people who say they love Jesus but when you look at their life they don't love anything else the whole book of first John yeah at first underwhelming right right there's this guy there's this guy on the second row in Morton he's wearing a really white shirt come on now this is for you as well this is for you as well This is for all of us. It's in that context that we read this. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Well, his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. For we know that we've passed from death to life. Because we get all of our doctrines straight. Nope. Because we shared that meme on our Facebook wall because we're not ashamed of Jesus. Ah! No. We know we've passed from death to life because the whole world knows where we stand on every social issue on earth. No. We know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Just let that sentence settle in for a second. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister, well, that person's a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I I, I think this has some massive implications. Anytime you open the Bible, you've got to ask two questions. One, what happened? And two, more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? So let's see where this takes us in terms of what it means to be a person of love. Evidently to John, when you love, you're experiencing some version of life today. 
And conversely, when you hate, you're experiencing some version of death today. Other than the book of Revelation, this would be the book I get the most questions about uh, an email. Christians today, they have trouble with 1 John. The reason is, is because they, they read everything through life after death. They read everything through heaven and hell. This book has nothing to do with heaven and hell, although I affirm both places. Okay, This book is written to believers by a pastor who's trying to navigate what it means to be a person of love. See, see for us, life and death are static images. You, you, you live or, or you die. That's it. And they're literal. Not in John's world. In John's world, life and death were not static images. They were dynamic dimensions that you were described to live in. So, so for John, life, light, and increase was a description of what it meant to live in God's ways. It, let me just state it simply. There's a, there's a certain way of living that looks like actual living, and then there's a certain way of living that looks like death. Like you're alive, but you're actually dead. It's, it's, it's that. And so, so life and light and increase was a description of living in God's ways. Death, darkness, and decrease was a description of heading your life to disrepair. You're alive, uh, uh, but you're actually dead. See, we get, we get consumed with the afterlife. I mean, and I mean overly obsessed with it. And please sort that out, honestly. But overly obsessed with it. Like, look, if I died today, and you came to my funeral on Wednesday, and I showed up here next Sunday... I would ruin your service, right? It, it would go something like this. Oh my goodness. Shane Willard's back. Get that man a mic. Whatever we got planned, it's off. We're going to have a Q&A with a guy that just rose from the dead. What would the first question be? It wouldn't even be, are you okay? You want some water? You look a little dusty. No. It'd be like, finally, solve the mystery for us. What happens after you die? That's what it would be. If only there was ever someone who lived and died and rose again who could, like, help us with that, you know? So this is a guy named Jesus, and he dies and rises again. And what's surprising is he comes back from the dead, and how much does he talk about the afterlife? None! How much talk about heaven? None! How much talk about hell? None! I find that unbelievable. What I find more unbelievable is no one asked. You would, this is what you would expect. Oh, goodness, you're back! What was heaven like? What was hell like? We heard you preach there. How'd your altar call go? Did you clean out hell, you rascal, you? You know, when you rose from the dead, tombs everywhere emptied. What was that all about? All this weird stuff they could have asked him. Nope. Jesus comes back from the dead and they're like, oh, great, you're back. Are we going to take over Rome now? Is it now that the kingdom is coming to the earth? See, for us, we obsess about life after death. But John, in this book... He's talking about how to have life before death. How to actually live here, now, today. The word he uses is metababakamen, which is, it's a long word that means to change basis. If you're finding your life on the basis of death and you want to be known, you're moved to the basis of life, you have a choice. And that first choice is to be a person of love. You know, they tell me, and my master's is in clinical psychology, and I believe the peer-reviewed studies, that, that they tell me that depression and anxiety are at an all-time high amongst 14-year-olds. I believe it, but I find it unbelievable. To be, like, if you're here and you're 65, and you listen to a 14-year-old try to explain how stressful their life is, you know, you're like, what are you talking about? Everything's better in your world than it was in our world. It was. You, we had to wait on our shows to come on TV. 
We had to watch commercials. You've got money. According to Forbes magazine, the generation turning 19 today has more money available to them at the age of 19 than the previous four generations before it combined had. That's unbelievable. That's true. All you got to do is talk to them. Ask a 19-year-old, what's your plan? With a straight face, they'll say, I'm thinking about taking a year off and walking around Europe. <laughs> Who's got that kind of money? Evidently, they do. Right? Look, if you're over 40, can you imagine telling your dad that you were going to take a year off to find yourself? <laughs> oh, look, there you are. I found you. Get a job. Right? It's true. It's true. It, it, part of the issues, part of the issue is medical. And please, I take mental health seriously. And if you're struggling with your mental health, please seek the services of a competent professional and not your cousin Earl on YouTube. That said, you can't spend... I, I, I had a, there was a 16-year-old girl and her mother approached me in the foyer. Not here, it was another church. And, they, and, they, and she was struggling. And So I, I, I had, I don't know, a few minutes with her. And um, I said, look, just tell me about your normal day. She was watching TikTok five hours a day. Listen, you can't spend five hours of the 24-hour gift of God's breath on your life looking at nine-second videos of cats doing handstands and expect to not be depressed. John's like, hey, listen, if you, if, you want, if you want to actually live, your first choice is to be a person of love. Now, now, that doesn't matter. What matters is how we picture that word functioning. What does it mean to be a person of love? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain what John says, in my opinion, and then we'll read what he actually says, and I'll let you be the judge of however, however well I did with it. He, essentially, John says this, that one, point, one entry point into life is to commit to loving each other. And here's John's point. He's like, if you want to see the world how Jesus saw the world, like he, the word for that would be Christianity. In his day, it would be called the way of Jesus, okay? But Christianity is seeing the world how Jesus saw the world, seeing God how Jesus saw God, and probably most importantly, applying Scripture the way Jesus applied Scripture, okay? So in order to see the world in, in a Christ-like way, one of the things is you got to see all of life as a gift, right? So there's two ways to see life, right? One is that you earned it, right? I earned my life, right? Or or the other way is to say, God gave me my life, right? Those are two different things. And if you feel like you earned your life, then certain things belong. Like you could be a misogynist if you earned it and the women didn't. You, you could be a racist if you earned it and they didn't, right? Like you can think about the world that way if you earned your life. But not if all of life's a gift. If all of life's a gift, you, you, you can't do that. And, and he, he's going to make some points here that are really profound. And it's true, like all of life is a gift. And I mean some big things like life. Free. None of us deserve to be here. None of us introduced our parents. None of us gave them amorous feelings for each other. None of us. And because of where I am, none of us deserve where we're born. All of us woke up today in Australia, either in Darwin or Morton or Redlands or Ipswich or Logan or Brisbane. Pretty good place to live, man. Like Australia, one of the top five greatest nations on the earth. A nation with motor cars, paved roads, stores that prepackage food for us, clean water in our taps, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class healthcare right down the road, and it's largely free, or at least incredibly affordable. When I hear Australians complain about Australia, let me be blunt, where are you going to go? 
I've traveled the world, man. Option B will suck worse, I promise. Life's free. Hey, here's one. Breath. Breath's free. Everybody, everybody take a deep breath. The guy in the white shirt in Morton, take a deep breath. Everybody in Redlands, take a deep breath. Ipswich, Logan, even online, take a deep breath. That's free. That was free. And we take it for granted. And don't feel bad. I do too. All of us just, we just breathe. Unless you have asthma and you have to carry your little puffer thing around, you know. People who can acutely lose their breath. If you have emphysema or somewhere. But in general, we just breathe, right? Until that's taken from us. The value of a gift isn't really known until it's threatened, right? So if you ever had your breath taken from you, it's pretty important. It's called choking. Happened to me once. <laughs> it's never happened to me again, thank God. They happened to me once. I'll spare you all the details, but I was meeting, I'll just tell you this. I, I was meeting someone for the first time in a place called Chermside, and I desperately wanted to make a good first impression. <laughs> and I failed. We, we, we ordered like this salt and pepper calamari entree, and I bit part of it in half, and there was a vein I didn't really notice, and half of it went in my esophagus, the other half went in my windpipe. It, it totally took my breath away. It's the only time it's ever happened. And I mean, it, I, I was making noises. You can't, I didn't know, it was, you can't duplicate what your body does to try to clear the airway. It was, it was unthinkable. Everything I thought in that moment that was important was not important. Like her first impression. I, I, she never called back, right? <clears throat> I didn't care, right? Next. I just needed to breathe, right? Money wasn't important. I'd have wrote a check for everything I own for one more breath, right? And also, be very careful about saying things like, I'd never be okay with that, never, ever. I don't care what they ever did to me. I'd never be okay with that. I would never compromise on that. Never, ever, ever, ever. Careful! You don't know what you'll do if you can't breathe. Seriously, things I would never be okay with. That day, I was suddenly okay with. Like a Thai man I've never met putting his fingers in my mouth. Any other time, I'd have said I'd never be okay with that. But that night, I loved it. <laughs> they screamed, he's chugging! And this little 4 foot 11 inch tie man, I assume he owned the place, come running out of the kitchen, put me in a reverse headlock, took his fingers and shoved it down my mouth. And I loved it. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was like, oh yeah, get you some of that. Breath is free. Forgiveness is free. Forgiveness didn't cost you nothing. Like none of our stories is, you know what? God wasn't going to forgive me. And then I did the right prayer at the right time in the right posture. And I gave the right amount. And God was like, you know what? I wasn't going to forgive you, but now I will. No, it's free. Resurrection's free. Resurrection is not something that happened once. Resurrection is a fundamental way of seeing the world. It says that death never gets the last word. It's, a best, it's the best way to live. And it's not just one time. It's happening everywhere right now. It's happening everywhere on everybody's skin. If you're watching online, it's on you. If you're in Redlands or Morton or Ipswich, look, it's on you. It's on your skin. That skin's 28 days old. 28 days ago, that skin didn't exist. And you kind of know that intuitively. This is why in the winter, if you wake up and there's dandruff on your pillowcase, no one panics. No one goes, hold on. I'm losing skin at an alarming rate. At this rate, I'll be dead in 28 days. No, you just know that death triggers new life. Well, that's a pretty good gift, right? That's it's actually a really important gift. 
Well, if, if, if everything's a gift, then certain things don't belong in the light, right? Like things like greed. Greed doesn't belong. Greed belongs if you earned it. Hoarding belongs if you earned it. Like to use a hyperbolic example, murder. Murder, why is murder wrong? Well, and, and by the way, murder has only been illegal recently. Unless you were a Jew or a Christian, like, mur- like murder in the Roman Empire was not illegal if they were a lower class than you. It just wasn't. Like it was the Christians and the Jews that came in and they had this idea that everybody was gifted with the image of God and it made the world a better place. Like this was like after birth abortion was legal in the Roman Empire. I mean, you give birth to a healthy child and you take them and bash their head. I mean, that was legal until 337 because a guy named Constantine converted. It was the Christians and the Jews, to be fair, that came in and went, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every human being is gifted with the image of God. That was an unthinkable thought before then. Like murder says my gift of life is more valuable than yours. Well, can that be if all of life's a gift? It can't be. Complaining doesn't belong. Like think about the people in your life who inspire you the least. They're not the, they're not the wicked people. They're not the sinner. They're not the people who can't, who can't get over, you know, life controlling. They're not. They're the people whose life is good and everything out of their mouth is complaining about the one thing not going so good. Those people irritate us. They're uninspiring. Complaining doesn't belong because there's, if life's a gift, then you can't complain about the gift. Look, if somebody gives somebody a gift and they complain about the gift, is the problem with the gift giver or the gift receiver? It's always, which leads me to this, do not answer out loud. How many of us have complained about our life in the last 30 days? To God. Imagine the complaint department in heaven out of Australia. Like, oh my goodness. And there's just nothing compelling about it. Let let me illustrate. So, um, years ago, 20... Three, 24 years ago. I, I was the single adults pastor at this big church. I loved it. So I was in charge of all the single and young adults. And we had this thing on Monday night. And, and my last night there, we had 270 single adults. I loved it. We had a big time. We had, we, had, we had a lot of fun. Except for the fact that single adults are notorious about focusing on the one thing they don't have. Namely, a spouse, right? So half my week was spent listening to this nonsense. Shane, I just want to be married. I want to be married. Shane, I want to be married. Shane, pray for me to be married. I just want to be married. Shane, pray for me to be married. I just want to be married. I just want to be married. Shane, would you pray for me to be married? I just want to be married. No, you don't. Listen. Follow my logic here. If you're not coping with the stress of being single... A single person's prayer tickles me. It goes something like this. Dear blonde hair, blue eyed, English speaking Jesus. <laughs> Shane here. I'm 27. I'm able bodied and I'm single. Let me tell you about my life. Lord, I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't have to run it by anybody to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Most importantly, Lord Jesus, no one on earth is spending my money other than me. But despite all these things that I know sounds awesome. I'm still stressed. So would you please bless me with one of your beloved daughters in order to make my life harder? (laughs) The problem 
was, is my other job at the church was I was the church psychotherapist. Because my master's in clinical psychology. And 90% of church counseling is marriage counseling. <laughs> so half my week was this. Shane, we want to be married. We want to be married. We just 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 want to be married. The other half of my week was, Shane, we want to be single. We want to be single. We want to be single. It's better to be single. It's better to be, Paul said it. It's better to be single. It's just better to be single. I want to be biblical. I'm going to be biblical. Paul said it's just better to be single. So the married people want to be single. The single people want to be married. I was like, I don't know what to do. I can hook y'all up. I don't know what to do. No one had wanted to bloom in the field they're planted in. Look, if you're married, be the best married person in the room. What other hope do you have? Pray for a comet to come to earth to bring you sweet relief. And if you're single, be the best single person in the room. There's nothing compelling about being focused on... Look, two minutes here, two minutes aside for the single adults, right? And, uh, and you, you can take it or leave it. won't change my life at all. But you married people at the end of this, you better say amen because I'm right about this, okay? Single adults right here, Morton, Redlands, Ipswich, Logan, online. Here we go, ready? Okay. Um, number one, if you're single, there's nothing compelling about being focused on the one thing you don't have. The most inspiring single adults are not the ones believing God for a spouse. They're the ones becoming the best person they can be. That's number one. Number two, you don't need to find the one. That's just dumb. You need to become the one that the one you're looking for is looking for. That's number two. Number three, put your list away. Nothing objectifies a human being like making a list about them. Can you imagine, you imagine going on your fifth date and it's going awesome and here's the conversation. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Three years ago, me and Jesus had a conversation about you and we made a list and you tick every single box. <laughs> right? If you're going to make a list, make a list about what you bring to the table, not what they bring to the table. Right? You can't sit across somebody and say, marriage is about mutual serving and mutual compassion. By the way, I made a list about everything you bring to the table. That's crazy. And have you seen these lists? These people don't exist. This guy came up to me. This is a wall now. Pastor Shane, I want you to, I believe in God for a wife. I I, I made a list. Would you pray for my list? I believe in God for a wife. I made a list. I made a list. Let me see your list. You should see this list. This woman has it. She was blonde for the sake of appropriateness, curvy. She was highly educated. She was successful. She had money. And she was emotionally low maintenance. All in one power packed package. I said, mate. That tells you where he lived. Bundaberg. I said, mate, this girl's a 10. He said, of course she's a 10, Pastor Shane. When you believe God, you believe God for a 10. We serve the God of more than enough. We serve the God of the possible. What's the problem with believing God for a 10? I said, the problem is, bro, you're a four. Like on your best day, you're a four. Girls like this don't marry people like you. Girls like this marry brain surgeons. The last thing you need is for God to bring this woman in your life. She wouldn't give you the time of day. What you need to do is become a seven yourself, lower your standards 30%, and some of them might have it. <laughs> Number four. Never, ever, 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 ever ask someone to change. 
while you're dating. <laughs> dating is someone's sincerest attempt to impress you. If their sincerest attempt to impress you fails to impress you, leave. <laughs> Here's what you do when you're dating. Pick the thing about them that annoys you the most. Multiply that thing by five. Add some occasional horrendous smells and you got marriage. If you still love them, you probably found the one. And all the married people said, that's right. Moving on. Here's the point John makes. Here's the idea. Since we receive what we don't deserve, we should treat others the same. Here's how John and Jesus define love. It's treating people as they are worth and not as they deserve. Remember they asked Jesus, what's the love of God like? He's like, oh, look at flowers and birds. They do nothing to deserve it, but God does stuff for them because they're worth it. Love is a function by which you choose to treat someone as they are worth and not as they deserve. So here's the question I want us to stop and wrestle with after all that laughing. Do we treat people as they are worth or as they deserve? If the anthropologist is right, there's going to be a lot of broken stories coming into this room. And you got a choice. You can treat them as they, are des as they deserve, and you can find a verse to back it up. Okay? Let's just admit there's a verse that disqualifies all of us. Okay? And if you can't think of one, yours is pride. There's 87 forbiddances in Scripture of overeating. You can choose to treat an overeater as they deserve by barking scripture at them. Or you could choose to treat them in love. And what does love mean? Love doesn't mean you affirm everything they do. Love means you choose to treat someone as they are worth instead of how they deserve. You can pray till the Lord comes back, and I hope you do, that God brings people into this place. But why would God trust any of us with people he loves unless we're going to choose to treat them as they are worth and not as they deserve? Right Now, that's my take on it. Let me read what he actually says. This is the next verse. This is verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Like, you got what you don't deserve? Don't just believe in Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus. Allow that to fundamentally shape the way you see all things. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but actions and truth. We love you, but what? No, 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 no. Love, Christianity is not an argument to win. It's a life to show. And it's defined by love. What does that mean? It means that we treat people as they are worth and not as they deserve. And when we see a need, I love what he says here. If you see a need and know it's within your power to meet that need, people of love do everything they could do to meet the needs within their power. And that's the temptation of the enemy. The temptation of the enemy is to get us so focused on things we can't do anything about. And then we put our little flags in the ground. Like we have all this stuff about climate and sex and politics and doom and please have an opinion. Put it on a flag. Put it on a little flag though, a little toothpick flag. Let the main flag be our belief in Jesus as evidenced by love for our world. What does that mean? It means we treat people as they are worth and not as they deserve. And when we see needs that are within our power to meet it, we act. Now, that's a weird sentence. Um, if, you see, if you have a material possession and see your brother or sister in need but have no pity on them, strange. Don't feel bad. The, 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 I can read Greek. The, the sentence in Greek is so weird. 
Translators can't agree on how to translate it. Rooms of Bible experts can't. Let me show you just four. The NIV says, have no pity on them. The NLT, show no mercy to them. The ISV says, withhold compassion from them. The ASV says, shut up compassion toward them. Again, oh, basically saying, if you see a need and know you can meet the need, no pity, no mercy, no compassion. But it should lead to, what does it actually say? In my personal opinion, the King James Version just nails it. Let me show you that one. Here it comes. Shutteth up thou bows on them. Isn't it amazing how the English language has changed? In the 1600s, it was a good thing to open your bow on somebody. Doesn't mean that. It was a metaphor for being charitable. And in this one instance, the King James Version just nails it. And here's the reason why. The center of our life, metaphorically, is our heart. Like, well, I love you with all my heart. That touched my heart. I put my whole heart. This is the center of... Not in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the center of your life was your bowel. The lower part of your stomach. Because babies come out of here. It's like, that's where life is. Like, you would never... Look, all those scriptures, you like, seek the Lord with all your heart. Go look it up. I promise you, it's bowel. Or stomach. It's, it's the center part of your, your, your being. Like if you were, if you were dating someone in the first century and you said, sweetie, I just love you with all my heart. Well, you're going to break up. That's weird. The beating thing in your chest. If you love someone in the first century, you'd say, sweetie. Mm. Oh. 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 I, I just want you to know, I just love you with all my bowel. Well, if you said that, she'd be like, oh, you move my bowels too. Let, let me show it to you in the original language. This is the original language John wrote it in. Here, here it comes. It, it's, the, the original language is, Kleise ta splachna. You don't have to read Greek to read that. Close, Kleise ta the... You can't. Essentially, John's like, yeah, you're depressed, you're anxious, of course. You can't live life with a closed. You have to have life with an open. Now, we would never say it that way. We would say, don't close your heart, don't close your life source. But John, shut up, don't. Essentially, John's key to really living is to open. Your shplakna. <laughs> what, what, is, what is love? L- love is treating someone as they are worth and not as they deserve. And when you see a need and know you can meet the need, you open your shplakna all over that need. <laughs> now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with. It's ridiculous. Great sermons are meant to be wrestled with. So, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I have three questions. Um, one, do, do you experience God yet leave the same? It, it, maybe, maybe it's not that you're bad or God's bad or God doesn't. Maybe it's you're experiencing God with a closed shplakna, a closed heart instead of an open one. Or do you, do, do you relate to someone who's hard to love? You know, you know the one you just wish God would go ahead and take them to heaven, that one? But maybe the most obvious application for today is simply this. Do you see a need and you know you can meet the need? I want to lead you in two prayers and then I want to talk to you for about 60 seconds, okay? Only if you're willing to pray these prayers 
by the Holy Spirit. There's no vacancy in the Trinity for me. First prayer is this. Lord Jesus, let no one ever reject you because of the way I'm presenting you. If you're willing to pray that prayer, why don't you just pray that underneath your breath? Lord Jesus, let no one ever reject you because of the way I'm presenting you. Forgive me for making Christianity about something else. Second prayer. Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart about a need that I can meet? Would you speak to my heart about a need that's well within my power to meet and give me the courage to act? Would you look this way? Everybody in Morton and Redlands and Ipswich, Logan, Darwin, and online. Is there a need? And you know you can meet the need. It is statistically improbable that there's not at least one of you who could write a check for $100,000. Let me finish. And you wouldn't feel it. Your net worth would go from $13.5 million to $13.4. I think you'll make it. What you gonna do, bro? Open your splacna, man. Say, Shane, you'll know me, man. I, I got like $5. Okay, if you only have $5, right here. Right here. If you only have $5, right here. Ready? Then you are not the financial answer to anything. You probably need a job. So, <laughs> let's take money and set it to the side. No more money. Here's the one thing we all have the same amount of. Time. Is there a need around? If the anthropologist is right, and he is, there's going to be a flood of people in here. And now's not the time to stay disengaged. Now's the time to re-engage. You say, well, what do I do? Here's what, you, here's what we've got to do. We've got, we got to get you in contact with someone in leadership here who can you know, journey with you and say, hey, what are you good at? Like, this is not a you serve us. It's a you serve God thing. And that part of that is to helping you discover what you're good at. Like, the, the, we need more hosting people. People would be kind to people when they drive up. You can't do that? Are you serious? Show up 30 minutes early and be nice. That's it. Are you serious? Come on, man. Open your splatna, bro. <laughs> oh, God, bless me with more. Bless me with more. Why would God bless you with more if you're not going to use what he gave you? Are you serious? Somebody's watching children right now. I don't know who they are, but I love them. This service is better without kids in it. Shut up, be quiet. And no child should have to listen to me. I'd be the worst children's pastor on earth. All right, boys and girls, we're going to talk about splatness. Now! You can't give a couple hours a month to help with that? Come on, man. Maybe you're a great musician. If you're not sure, get it checked out first. By somebody not named Mom. Come on, man. Say, Shane, seriously, I'm a jerk. No one. Okay, if you're a jerk, stop being a jerk. But if what you mean by that is I'm an introvert, there's all, no, you can always be a sound guy. There's a wall separating you from the whole room. <laughs> so here's the, here, this will be the weirdest altar call ever. Um, here's the altar call for everyone. Everybody get their phone out. Everybody get your phone out. Got 10 seconds to do this, all right? Everybody get your phone out. Okay. Hold it in your hand, all right? Step one, everybody got your phone out? Everybody, everybody, everybody. I want you to unlock the phone. Okay, so unlock your phone. Second step is I want you to open the camera of the phone. So open your camera. 
Everybody got your camera open? This is going to be really cool. Watch what's going to happen here. All right, I want everybody to, to point your camera at me. All right? Get a load of all this. All right, everybody got your camera up here at me? All right, ready? Now, I wonder if there's a need you could meet. If you could bring that slide up for me. Yeah. So, so if you're already on team, don't do this because you'll crash the server. But if, if, if you just... If you just click that QR code, it's going to ask you for your name, your email, your phone number. And here's what's going to happen. Someone from here is going to contact you and find out what you're great at. If you're, if you're in Logan, Ipswich, Redcliffe, morning, I want you to join the team. It's not time to stay disengaged. It's time to re-engage. So, my brothers and sisters, have whatever conviction you want to have. Just don't be known for it. Be known for your belief in Jesus as evidenced by your love for your world. What does that mean? It means we treat people as they are worth and not as they deserve. And when you see a need and know you can meet the need, you open your splachna all over that need. May you, my brothers and sisters, be a church of wide open splachnas. Grace and peace, everybody.